I will lead an analytical meditation, meaning we will use reflections, reasonings. So we will use the conceptual mind. So this meditation is connected with appreciating the kindness of others. And I will invite you to go back into your life and invite people who have contributed to your life and kind of seeing them in front of you. And again, you don't need to be occupied with uh, the, the image and you, you don't need to follow all the suggestions. So if you want to pause at a certain time and just connect with a certain person or with a certain group of people, then, then you do that. And it's not about trying to force yourself to have certain feelings. It's more uh, working with these images and suggestions and then noticing what happens. Noticing your response. It's not possible to force your, your heart open by thinking, oh, I should be kind, I should appreciate this, I should be grateful but you're just not feeling like that. Yeah? So it's, it's kind of a, quite a subtle art, analytical meditation, uh, to, to use uh, reasonings and images in a gentle way and then noticing what happens. Instead of already now have an idea of how you should feel in a grateful gratefulness meditation or in in uh, yeah so uh, you you follow and you allow the images and the suggestion to come into your being and then you just notice okay what what is happening and everything is fine if you get bored, if you find out, well, this is what, it's not helpful for me, or I actually get upset, I get sad, I get angry. Oh, probably I'm doing something wrong because I, this is not a meditation on ang anger. It's a meditation on feeling a warmth and kindness to others. Uh, avoiding a violent meditation. So let's uh, take some time to reconnect. Sliding into the felt sense of your body. Gravitating towards present moment awareness. Possibly 
resting lightly with your awareness on the breath so you have an anchor to come back to Emphasizing, emphasizing the spacious aliveness in your body instead of the thoughts and the narratives. returning to present moment awareness when you get entangled or hooked when you unhook yourself dropping back into the trunk of your body and softening the belly and the shoulders then within the space of awareness we travel back into our life go back into childhood and then we call upon uh, people who have contributed who were kind and caring who taught us things and we can start with our primary caregivers and you within the space of your awareness in front of you uh, they appear and they appear in their best form with a smile with love in their eyes and even though if you don't remember you were completely helpless in the beginning you know someone had to feed you to hold you warm to take care of you when you were sick someone had to teach you how to talk how to dress how to go to toilet So we are not looking for perfect people here. Uh, 
we are just appreciating the gifts, the teachings, the protection. And what was given to you takes the form of the smile and the loving gaze and the presence of care radiating from the people in front of you. And that could be your parents and your grandparents, brothers and sisters, other family members, nannies. And you just receive their presence, their loving gaze, their smile, pouring into you. And maybe you want to focus on a specific person. Maybe you can also be surprised by who turns up. And then you just rest in that. then gently we move to friends so you allow some of your childhood friends to appear and they are gathering there in the space of your awareness with your family the primary caregivers And allow this to happen more spontaneously rather than trying to control it. Friends in school, in kindergarten, long term friends people who have been your friend only for shorter periods until today. And you remember the joy, the support, So then add the spiritual friends, the Sangha here in this room and the people who are parts of the groups you are have been involved or you're still involved. And uh, 
it's bathing in, in, in that. So there's your primary caregivers. You're surrounded by your friends. They are all looking at you, smiling at you. And you bathe with your whole body from the toes to the top of your head. So next uh, we add uh, teachers and here we can start in kindergarten in school. So the fact that you can understand what I'm saying right now shows that there was an English teacher in your life. And probably someone taught you how to bind your shoes. And someone taught you how to read. So teachers in the widest sense. And they gather there. can't appreciate everyone, it's too many, but maybe some, some of the more important teachers might appear. In your education, studies, books you read, courses you did, videos you watched, 
to learn things. Work. People who taught you things and work. And they gather there. With your primary caregivers, your friends. And they all look at you and smile. And their gifts and their teachings, they pour into you. In the form of this light, this warmth. We add also spiritual teachers in the widest sense, so that could be religious teachers you met, or whose books you read, or who inspired your life. It could be poets, artists, therapists, philosophers, writers. And they start to gather there, and obviously you can't remember right now every one of them, but uh, you get a sense of the big number of teachers in your life. And maybe you can reconnect with some of them. And they are just there in the space of your awareness together with your primary caregivers, your friends, and then teachers. Bathing, bathing in their gifts. Just appreciating how whatever you learned in this life, you learned from others. You didn't know anything. 
of the beginning. And then next, uh, we add uh, strangers who have been kind to us. So strangers we have met. And so these are people who, from the beginning in your life, smiled at you and were considerate, served you in shops, showed you the way opened doors, helped you when you stumbled, helped you when you were lost. Strangers who invited you in, or took time, or talked with you, who were kind to you. And within the space of your awareness, they start together. Maybe you can remember some exceptional acts of random kindness you have received. Yeah, but many of those people you, you don't remember at all. But get a sense of the number throughout the years. Bus drivers and people working in the shop and just people helping out. Including nurses and so on. And they gather there with your primary caregivers, your family, and friends and teachers. So there's a much bigger group of strangers. Maybe you have had accidents in your life or sickness. Maybe you received uh, government fund government support, social support.
just bathed in that and they all look at you and smile at you with love in their eyes. And it pulls into your body. Maybe you have been traveling, that's often where we encounter strangers helping us, inviting us, taking care of us. Uh, then the last group we add is the biggest group and that's uh, the people who have contributed uh, to your life and you've never met them. So that's the people who grew the food you ate and who made the clothes you wear and who built the buildings you use and the roads and your bike and the iPhone and, and so on. the people who made the cushion you're sitting on, who painted this room. And uh, you appreciate them and within the space of your awareness together with your parents and family and friends and teachers and strangers you have met and then all the unknown people who are contribute to your life and have contributed to your life. And just get a sense. And they all smile at you, they all look at you, so their contribution transforms into this energy of loving-kindness, of care coming through their eyes and smiles. And 
and you just take it in with your whole body, with every cell of your body. cells of your body are made from the food which was grown from others. And then we let them go and they all leave gifted and happy that you acknowledge them. And we rest a few more moments in a non-symbolic experience of that care, meaning a direct experience. surrounding you, pervading you. a sense of the goodness which supported you until today. You are here because others, because of others. You're still alive because of others. You are happening because of others. This moment is happening. This experience is happening because of others. in whatever is present for you.
conclude this meditation again with a dedication. May this being wake up and grow up for the benefit of all. May this being wake up to its highest potential. Are there any questions or comments about uh, what we have talked about so far? the lunch break soon. Let's go to the next verse. In all actions, so verse 3, in all actions I will examine my mind and the moment an affliction arises Endangering myself and others, I will firmly confront and avert it. In all actions, I will examine my mind. In the moment an affliction arises, endangering myself and others, I will firmly confront and avert it. So this is uh, the practice of mindfulness, of introspection. And it's a quite strong language and it could be even stronger, uh, kind of a warrior language. One reason for that is that 
some of the people who wrote this text, they come from the warrior class, or they have that kind of language, and they are inspired by the archetype of the warrior. So they sometimes use words, words like battle and fighting and combat. Yeah. It's part of their part of their culture. Averted. Uh, change. Yeah, a word is uh, yeah transform. Yeah. yeah. So maybe one could start also with this uh, practice, um, with the aspiration to be able to do that. To cultivate, to, to cultivate the wanting, to cultivate uh, the wanting of this. Yeah. And uh, inspiration or aspiration, you know, setting an intention in the morning, is such it's really a, a beautiful practice. Yeah. To to actually. In the morning, as part of your uh, waking up routine and starting your day routine, uh, to search uh, for an intention and uh, you know, use texts like this to be reminded. Yeah, actually, today I, I want to be mindful about the way I talk, for example. I want to listen to my voice. Do I talk in the way I want to talk with people? I look at people with the same with with the way with the gaze I actually want to have yeah, and and to to cultivate that intention to reconnect with that intention so this uh, to kind of set commitments for yourself. And wanting to do that and actually doing it. So how can you increase the, the longing inside of you to, uh, to be harmless? Why would you want to do that? Isn't it be, isn't it better to be tough? <laughs> isn't it better to be suspicious? Isn't it better to push others to the side to get what you want for yourself? So again, a lot of the initial Lamrim teachings, uh, their purpose is to plant and connect us with that intention, 
uh, to be of service. To make, uh, how, how can I help you, the most important mantra in one's life. And something in you should be scared when I say this. Something in you should struggle with this, because other, otherwise you, you, you're not listening to what, to what is being said here. Because that which we identified with only thinks about itself, only wants to protect yourself, itself. It's in the center of the universe. It's what really matters. Obviously, there's other parts of you, so they are also there. But uh, it's often the self-important part of us which drives the car. So the challenge with this kind of forceful language of fighting, averting, combat, um, is that uh, they might it, it might sound it's about it's a practice of being violent to yourself. Yeah. So we definitely need to listen to this in a different way. It, it, so this kind of language might speak to the perfectionist in us or to the I'm not good enough part or uh, so that's always a problem it's not only one one aspect listening but but the others are also listening so the the practice here starts I will examine my mind so that's introspection. Uh, one uh, beautiful way to talk o- about this practice is the RAIN model, uh, which is a, a, a model of uh, pointing to different aspects of mindfulness practice, which has been taught by a few teachers of the Inside Meditation Society in the United States. And it starts with the R, and that stands for recognition. So that, that's this first step. I will examine my mind. And examine, it's also, you know, maybe not such, a, such, a, such an inviting word. Yeah? Uh, to be aware of what's happening within my inner life. And for us as disembodied culture, the most important ingredient here is awareness of the body, curiosity of the body, feeling your feelings, noticing what is happening in your inner life, noticing when a contraction emerges, 
when uh, an impulse, an urge emerges, when defensiveness emerges, getting to know, getting to know the movements and being curious about them and paying attention to that. So noticing, like when someone says something to you, what's happening? What's your, what's the response? And that uh, takes practice. It takes passion to do that. Curiosity. Uh, out of habit, we, uh, we tend to distract ourselves away from the body, away from our experience. I mean, if you think about how 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 how, how much time do you spend in a day to to feel yourself exactly as you feel with your restlessness and boredom, exhaustion, joy, and the whole thing. It's it's sometimes amazingly little. And on, on top of that, there is, um, there is that uh, even the, like the opposite, you know, as soon as there's something slightly unpleasant, uh, we, we run. So to, to make this, uh, and, and in all, so it's not, it doesn't, you know, it's not good enough to just read this and then say, yeah, I should pay more attention to my inner life. It needs to be something intrinsic in you. Understanding why would you do that? What's the process? Why is it good to do that? Why is it helpful? Isn't it better to just ignore my inner life and entertain myself for the rest of my life and then die? And when the inner life is a bit difficult, I pop in some pills. So that's how many people, and we also kind of live our life sometimes. And it takes such a courage to pause and to reconnect and to feel. We really need encouragement and we can't do it alone. So that's that's also where Sangha comes in. You know? We meeting like this and reminding ourselves that we are not completely crazy, that we don't run the rat race, that there's also other people who stay put and look inside. We are not supported in this uh, by the mainstream culture. It's of course growing. Uh, but um, I mean, growing the the interest in introspection and uh, being with feelings and being with the body. You know, the, the topic of embodiment 
it becomes bigger, yeah? but still this is really a minority. And many people, they need to uh, go uh, as far as to the collapse, and then they don't have any other choice. So the recognition, noticing, wow, this, this hurts. This is difficult for me. Getting to know yourself, getting to know your internal family system, the different aspects, taking time to explore that, to share to share that also with others. Who are you? What's happening? What are your... How do you live your life? Yeah, to share that. To listen to each other. The second letter is the A, which is acceptance or allowing. So this is, uh, this is, so when we use words like combat or force or averting, it, it, it kind of, is, it could be, uh, it could be understood as suppressing yeah. So this allowing, this accepting, this is very important. Yeah, to uh, to say yes, this is how I feel. I want to kick. I want to hurt this person. This is how I feel. To allow that, to accept that, this is how you feel. To give space to that, to feel that. So fighting here is a very bad word. So allowing, accepting. No feeling is wrong. It's, it's a feeling. Non-judgmental. So the... the the recognition is non-judgmental, possibly loving, that would be even better, possibly compassionate, yeah, but at least noticing non-judgmentally. This is how I feel. This is what is happening in my inner life. This is where freedom starts to happen when you realize, when you see, when you experience that you are not your urges. That an urge to speak harshly to another person, it's completely natural to have that. Now, there's a reason for having that. 
It's an aspect of you who has been hurt in the past. And that aspect still thinks it needs to protect you. And the way to protect you is to be harsh with others. That's the best this part can do. And it doesn't trust that there's other ways to ha handle the situation much better. More adult, more grown up, more kind ways. So the urge to close, close down, arises, and it has certain reasons. It comes from a wounded part. So, but you don't need to put it on the driver's seat. And one second of mindfulness is enough. not to put that part onto the driver's seat. Do I really want to send this email? Do I really want to talk about this right now? Do I really need to give that, this feedback right now from my reactivity, from the most immature part of myself, Maybe not. Maybe I take a breath. Maybe I bring my attention to my feet. Maybe I change my position. Maybe I go, I walk around the desk before I, I, I press send. It's such a, oh, it's, it's so wonderful when you start to see that all these parts of you have a good intention. So, you, so also the, the part of you who says, the way to handle this situation, I know it has been like this when you were three years old. You have to be harsh here. You have to be judgmental here. Listen to me. And uh, to, uh, to not to be ashamed of this part or to, to try to suppress it, or, um, but to, um, to, to allow it to be there. and to start to heal that part, to give that part what it needs. It needs to feel safe. It doesn't feel safe. So by doing that with yourself and, and failing, failing, and again, failing. And then again, putting the intention, doing some inner work to 
some inner loving work so that this part feels more safe. That also increases your tolerance towards other people because you start to see, wow, this is really difficult. These urges, they are so strong, it seems to be impossible not, not to act upon them. Like it feels like exploding. When was it you slammed the door last time? Stormed out of the room? It's so difficult then to pause and feel your feelings. The helplessness, the frustration, the sadness. So for me, the best antidote towards inner violence is loving attention. There's other methods, but uh, somehow they don't really work for me. Maybe they work for you. Like, uh, you know, a common antidote being recommended in the teachings for anger is to meditate on loving-kindness. <laughs> so good luck with that. Yeah, after, after you have, after you have hurt someone, yeah, so then, but right on the spot, uh, Loving introspection, that's for me the thing. And insight into impermanence, the non-static, vibrant nature of any impulse, of any reactivity. So that even if it feels it's unbearable, just some deeper breathing, three deep in-breaths, with out-breath, like really pushing it out. Uh, and it has changed. But how can we nurture the strong intention to do it in that moment? How can we, how can we make that a natural, the natural automatic response to situations like that? to really implant that habit of loving introspection and uh, the pausing. And here the pausing, not, not as a, a suppression, so that's like Shantideva is becoming like a log of wood. Yeah? So he's not, a, he's not saying suppress, he's saying pause. Go the middle way between uh, between acting out and suppressing. There's a, there's, a, there's, another, there's a third option here. And that is pausing and giving space.
The narrative self doesn't want to do this. The narrative self wants to be right. So there is opponents in this, in, in us. Parts who, do, who don't trust this. Parts who don't trust loving awareness. Oh, then people will trample on you, this part says. They will take advantage of you. You have to look after yourself. Other people don't do that. You are not safe. People are greedy. They will abuse you. They are bad. This part, this young part doesn't know better. But it's so convincing. important part in this work or in this journey is to be able to handle failing and not being able to do that and not using that for the narrative I'm not good enough, I'm not good at this uh, but uh, uh, to, to increase your tolerance towards others appreciate how difficult it is to break through the prison of the habits of the narrative self how difficult it is how strong how strong the dictatorship of the narrative self is so to see failing as a success as part of our spiritual uh, practice. It makes us humble. It can make us tender towards uh, the Im- Im- amazing challenge of uh, of breaking through the prison. So again and again in your meditation practice you install the habit of allowing and accepting. Really exploring different instructions, you know, self-compassion, Christine F, you know, Tara Bach, you know, all these uh, practices to, to really to really install habits of gentleness and tenderness towards your inner life. This is not going to happen from the sky. It's not going to happen by understanding it would be good. We, we need to cultivate so much self-respect and self-care that we are actually starting to do this. Consistently. Over many, many years. So that's 
recognizing, accepting, and then there's non-identification. So like this non uh, ah, yeah, right. Uh, investigation. Yeah. So investigation is uh, the vipassana part, the insight meditation part. And it starts with the non-static nature of these movements, of these contractions, or going into the energetic, into the prana or chi level of these movements inside. And also investigating how much of the experience is created by the stories we put around, by the labels we put around. So it's one thing, so you hear something, someone is criticizing you, and there's an immediate response, almost like instinctive. So you feel it in the body, you go into the energetic level. But the other is also to become aware what happens on the conceptual level. What kind of stories do we tell ourselves about this person? What kind of distortion is happening? It's like the complexity of this person who just criticizes you completely disappears and you just see the enemy who wants to attack you. And for that, and then there's a cognitive fusion. This is the person. So, and for that, we need to have stories. Part of this is also a familiarity with your psychological history in the investigation. And we will, we will find out that we actually respond, for example, to our partner in ways which has nothing, nothing to do with our partner. It's the stuff we brought into the relationship. We don't respond to the partner, we respond to father or mother or other experiences from our psychological history. So that's all investigation. And then the investigation leads into the, let's, you could also just put it into the third, yeah, the non-identification, because that's the and that's the third aspect of um, Vipassana practice is uh, uh, the insight into no-self, non-identification, the insight into emptiness. There's urges arising, and I'm not these urges, and the urges are having no substance. They are, don't exist from their own side. They don't have any meaning. And there is also no solid, separate, autonomous I here, which I need to defend. 
So you go into the twofold emptiness, what is called the twofold emptiness, the emptiness of the object and the emptiness of the subject. And it's possible, you know, through repetition of the meditations connected with this, the reflection connected with this, the familiarity, the growing familiarity with no self, or the growing familiarity with you as primordial consciousness, with you as unconditioned awareness, not you as the narrative self, but you as the ever-present witness, uh, to do that on the spot. For example, you are being criticized and what happens in you is who is being criticized? Who is that? Looking inside. Oh, there's nobody at home. <laughs> there's nobody here. From the outside it appears that someone is here. But from the inside here, from where I'm looking from right now, there's nobody there. If I would believe uh, the view you have that there's someone here, I, I mean, I'm fucked. Because what you see is... Uh, it's a body which is falling apart. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that what you see. But from inside, from where I'm looking from, there's nobody. So if I have that, if I rest as that, it doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter what you think about me. Because... There's centerlessness. There's nothing, there's nothing there to protect. Where, whereas I, if I shift into identifying what you see, then I'm, then I, then I'm very vulnerable. Then I, then I'm, I, then I worry about what you think about. This is not complicated. It's very simple. It's not like, and, and this is not like enlightenment or something. It is just the simple recognition of no self, the experience of no self. And for most of us, this this doesn't fall from the sky again. It needs some investigation and some continuous practice using the methods we learn uh, within the emptiness section of the Lama. So are there any questions before the lunch break?
If you have questions out there, you can post them uh, under the video. Yeah, I will read them in the break. Uh, I would like to ask something. Yeah. I'm working as a teacher with the children, and uh, my feeling is that there are many children nowadays who don't really know how to be a human being, really. Uh, they, they don't really have these social codes, and they don't really know how to behave in a situation in a, in a way that benefits everybody. And um, a lot of the time, I think it, it, um, I need to have a lot of loving kindness to them and, and, and forgive things and stuff like this. But then there are moments where I feel it's also good if I, um, because my, the group I have now, they push my buttons all day, all the time, uh, extremely a lot. And um, sometimes I get to the limit where I just, uh, all this, uh, Absolutely. To, to learn just one part of a human being. Yeah. Since they don't seem to have the mm. whole picture. But it, it is quite um, demanding. It, it kind of takes a lot of energy to be, be a human being in front of a group all, all day and, and show how it is to be a human being. It's, it's quite a big job. Mm. I think many teachers have this today. Yeah. But it's kind of a balance, balancing between these two right. roles yes. all the time. And even if you wouldn't have any reactivity, then you would need to pretend to have reactivity. I for can the, tell you I don't for, pretend. Yeah, yeah but I know because, <laughs> because uh, there's still room for expansion on the awakening side. Yeah. But, um, but even if you, if you would, uh, if, if you generally, persistently would have an experience of no self, you would need to pretend in order to teach them, in order to show, in order to guide them, in order to put boundaries, yeah? and in order to show them that it, is, uh, that, that it is fine to have feelings. So this is, uh, uh, this is also called uh, wrathful compassion in, in the Tibetan tradition. Yeah, so it is. Uh, it looks from the outside as as if there's a reactivity, but it is an expression of compassion. Uh, so it's fine uh, to um, and in yeah. It's, it's a good. Uh, it's a good good exploration. Maybe sometimes you might notice that even if there's some firm expression, some, some um, what, what could be labeled anger from the outside, that sometimes you are able to actually not lose the space with your heart. Like there is energy coming out, and 
and some firmness or a loud voice, but, but you don't lose the space with your heart. You don't lose the connection with, the, with your care. What sometimes has happened is that I have become uh, like angry or showed my anger to a public figure, no one. And then there's sadness coming up in them yeah. and in me. But then I usually say that. Can you see now that we both feel sad? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's uh, that's a yeah. nice thing because then after this explosion we, we become very soft and yeah. then I feel it's okay. Yes, absolutely. And and um What you don't do in this example is to make this child a bad person. And, and that's what uh, this exaggeration of anger usually does. We, we, we continue uh, the story of, like we, we hold a grudge and we continue a, a story of closeness. So in this example, so the energy is released and there's some clarity there and... Uh, Sometimes even it feels the right thing, like it feels this was appropriate. Like after the situation, you don't feel like going back and wanting to fix it and apologizing for, for, yeah, for a long time because it felt appropriate. It was just a clear signal, no, yeah, a clear boundary. And, uh, and then in the situation you describe, after that, there was immediately the capacity to reconnect and to share your feelings. Ah, now we are both sad. Yeah. So that's very different than uh, a persistent judgment and uh, rejection and anger uh, towards a certain person. Yeah. Is it difficult for you uh, to handle the fact that you like other that you like some children more than others? Uh, yes, it is difficult. It's a challenge, uh, especially almost always. You have one or two children that you are. It's difficult to like. Yeah. Uh, that feels really. It is beautiful that it feels awful, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> because it shows it, it, it is painful to not have someone in your heart. It's very painful. Yeah. Sometimes I take them to my meditation in the mm -hmm. yeah. and, and yes. I feel it kind of helps, okay. yeah. Yeah. not always. No, and then on the other hand, it's also, uh, even I think for parents, to, to accept there is just maybe one child in the family you have a deeper connection with or something like that to also accept that yeah to not to, not, not to try to lie around it or you know, and yeah I love every one of my children the same way or something like that uh, and then as you say and then maybe work on it like you would try to shift a bit the perspective towards the children in your class you dislike out of certain reasons which has to do with your psychological history it's not their thing 
other teachers who come to the class maybe like these children the most or have most compassion to them, which is a good proof for the emptiness of uh, that the that the difficulty is not in the child because other teachers see this child very differently. 